The views and opinions expressed by the individuals in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of its producers, Metaphor Creative Media, its management, or affiliates. Police officers were witness to some of the most amazing things in life. Some comical, some horrendous, and some just plain miraculous. When asked why you went into law enforcement, most officers will tell you because it's like having a front row seat to the greatest show on earth. Today, we saved you a front row seat. This is Observations. From Broadcast Beat Studios in Oakland Park, Florida, Metaphor Creative Media presents a show that gives you a personal glimpse of what law enforcement officers see and do in their typical and not-so-typical day of work. From walking the beat to detective, Rob has 35 years of law enforcement experience. Although the staff are all active or former law enforcement, any views, opinions, and all other show content are in no way official views, statements, or policies of any law enforcement agency. To talk to our host, call the podcast studio toll-free at 888-511-COPS. That's 888-511-2677. Hello and welcome to Observations, your front row seat to the greatest show on earth. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Anthony. Um, I am one of the show's uh, creators and producers. Rob was supposed to be back this week, but he has some personal issues he's got to attend uh, to tonight, so... You're stuck with me again. Uh, and Rob, I just want you to know we're thinking about you. And uh, we hope things work out. We're sure they will. And we hope you come back real soon. But we're going to try to keep the format that we started last week as well uh, by adding the control room to each episode. Um, where tonight, my partner and co-producer, Danny. Say hi, Danny. You, you should have a picture of you up there in case you don't know how to control the TriCaster yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure it out. Danny's controlling the ship from inside the control room all by himself, so he's wearing a lot of hats. So, Danny, make sure the camera's on you when you're switching the hats and you're jumping like to the audio and to the phones and all that. So. I'll decide what the camera's on. <laughs> <laughs> so, I want a lot of people to call in so that Danny's goes off his mind, out of his mind, can't do the TriCaster and loses his uh, sense of control. <laughs> Should be fun. The show is broadcast live every Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, YouTube, and now on <clears throat> the Twitter page at Copservations underscore. Uh, we're broadcast from the Broadcast Beat Studios located in Oakland Park, Florida. And uh, if you ever get a chance to come on down and, and uh, tour the studio, it's a great place. Ryan, Ryan does some great tours and stuff, and there's a lot of really good things we got going on here. Um, here on Observations, we attempt to give you a personal glimpse of what law enforcement officers go through on a daily basis. We also talk about recent events, happenings, and the latest hot topics pertaining to law enforcement that not only affect officers, but you, the general public, as well. If you have any comments, questions, or a story you'd like to share, join the conversation by giving the podcast studio a call toll-free at 888-511-COPS. That's 888 888- 511-2677. And it is toll-free, so you have no excuse to call. It's not costing you anything. Call from anywhere in the country, 
toll free. That means no money, no moolah. You can also instant message your questions and comments live during the podcast on our Copservation Facebook page. Um, give Danny some time to see the comments and stuff because, like I said, he's wearing a lot of hats tonight. And we should have some carpet wear in the uh, carpet in the control room from him going back and forth. <laughs> I'm joined tonight by the show's co-host, Gary Dickinson. Gary, it's great to see you again. Good, good to be here. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> We're going we're gonna to have a lot of fun tonight. It's going to be... Uh... I took a little sabbatical, so... <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. So we, we're going to... We have a, a show full of challenges tonight, I would say. What we'll do you think? It. Yeah, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. Um, <clears throat> so uh, tonight we're going to, um, to talk about uh, some really interesting topics that are near and dear to me and Gary. Uh, but... but as law enforcement officers and things that uh, aren't discussed enough and that a lot of people don't have any, uh, there's a misconception about a lot of the stuff that we, that goes on. So we definitely want to touch on those tonight. So, but if you didn't get to uh, tune into last week's show, uh, you missed a very informative conversation where we discussed countering violent extremism with our guest Nizar Hamzi, a deputy sheriff whose background includes extensive research study, and specializing in CVE, countering violent extremism. Deputy Hamsey uh, discussed the importance of law enforcement and the implement, implementation of countering CVE with community policy, policing, and how he works hand-in-hand -hand with the Department of Homeland Security as a subject matter expert traveling all around the world and training other governments and law enforcement agencies how to work together. <clears throat> it was a really great show, so if you missed it, uh, if you missed last week's Countering Violent Extremism episode or any of our other episodes, you can catch up on the show by going to the Observation Podcast YouTube channel, where you'll find all of our previous episodes. Lots of, some funny ones there, some good ones that, uh, uh, that I like to go back and play every once in a while when I'm doing my show prep and stuff in the, in the studio and stuff, like Richie's stuff, that's, a, that's always a fun one. So uh, tonight's topic is interacting with law enforcement. And Gary and I are going to discuss how the public interact with law enforcement officers under different circumstances, as well as our own experiences, right, Gary, of, yes. uh, of interacting <clears throat> with the public, you know, as law enforcement officers, how we interact, how the public interacts with us. So uh, before we do that, as, uh, custom, as is custom with the show format, I'd like to touch on some recent events in the news pertaining to law enforcement, and discuss them a little bit more in depth um, before we move on to tonight's topic. <clears throat> so the first thing that's up is uh, just very fresh and recent. Uh, the two students that were shot and killed, uh, well, two that are dead uh, at a California high school after a classmate unloaded a semi-automatic semi pistol. Uh, the student gunman was dressed in black, opened fire at the Saugus High School in Los Angeles County on his 16th birthday, 16th birthday. He killed two students and injured three others before turning the gun on himself. His empty 45 caliber semi-automatic pistol was recovered at the scene. Official, officials described the slain student as a 14-year-old boy and a 16-year-old girl. They said the shooter was in grave condition after he was finally identified as the sixth student found wounded in the quad. Investigators quickly focused their attention on, the, <clears throat> on an address about a mile from the school 
that traced back to student Nathaniel Burhow, a cross-country runner whose parents divorced in 2016 and whose dad passed away in 2017. Freshman Rosie Rodriguez told the Associated Press the gunfire sounded like balloons popping. So it wasn't until she saw other students running that she realized that, realized that this was happening. Still carrying her heavy backpack, she ran across the street to a home where a person she didn't know gave shelter to about a dozen students. I just heard a lot of kids crying. We were scared, Rodriguez said. On a normal day, she said, Saugus High School felt very safe. We really never thought this would happen in our school, she said. Which is one of the first things I want to talk about. Uh, the, the last line in that story, we never thought it would happen in our school. Yeah, but it's almost always one of their current students, fellow students. Right. Somebody should have saw something wrong. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Almost always one of their students. That's and absolutely somebody. There are some signs out there uh, people miss. Some people blow off as you know he's just a prankster, he's just a jokester. You know, my biggest concern is that one of those the the comments always seem to be we never thought it would happen to us, and not just in school stu uh, school shootings. I mean, but in all kinds of cases that we deal with every day as law enforcement officers. I never thought that would happen to me. My child got kidnapped. My child got killed. My you know. I never thought that would happen to me, not in my family, not in, you know, not my child. I, I kind of felt that same way when my brother got killed. <clears throat> and, he, you know, of course, he was a law enforcement officer. But uh, a lot of us cops, I think, sometimes like to think that way so we can keep going. But then we also realize we have to survive, and we know that survival is survival is training. The Training, training, training. That is that is uh, the key to survival. But my, you know, I, I understand that uh, you know people will think that. But so, how do we counter that? I mean, how do we prepare people to stop thinking? Not in my school. Not what well, happened to my child. What do we do? You I mean, would hope that by now, seeing all these school shootings, that this would just sink in somewhere. But apparently, it doesn't. But we're also dealing with young kids. 14-year-olds don't think like a 35-year-old person. Right, right. They go to school every day, happy-go-lucky, and that's what they're supposed to do. That They're not supposed to think about this kind of Exactly. Stuff. But exactly. nowadays, they have to. Exactly. So, uh, I, I mean, listen, I'm not one of the people who have to decide what they got to do to try and deal with it and figure out the balance between, you know, preparing people and getting people out of the mindset that it's not that it will never happen at your school, but when will it happen at our school? Yeah, I, it's, like I, I, listen, I had kids that went to school every day. I fear. I mean, we, you know, uh, you know, you know how it is down here in South Florida. You know, and there's incidents at school, and we get the phone calls, the robocalls. Oh, there was an incident at the school, but you know, just like every other parent, even as a police officer. Right. Oh my God, what happened at the school? And then you're trying to call, you know, friends of a friends, or you know. Pull your, your friend card. Hey, what happened at the school? Can you tell me? Whatever. You know, been there, done that. But, you know, in, in reality, you know, putting up the blinders is not going to uh, rectify the situation and stop it from happening. No. It's going to happen. When is it going to happen? Where is it going to happen? And this, this is where we need to attack it. 
We need to attack it there. When is it going to happen? Where is it going to happen? Well, hopefully in the future, in the very near future, we're going to hear more about security in California at the schools. Hopefully. We have pretty good security in Florida now, I noticed. Well, <clears throat> we do and we don't. I mean, it's a, it's a very, like I said, it's a very uh, fragile balancing act. One of the biggest things is you're going to have to pour money into it because you're going to have to get the people there that need to be there. And I'm not saying that because people want to make a ton of money securing a school. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. The money needs to be put there. Somebody needs to put the money there and then fill in the spots with the money. And if the money runs out and we don't have enough, we don't piecemeal it together. We get more money and we fill the spots. Well, the, I noticed the kids that, have to uh, be protected at re- school. Recently That's- I saw an article where the police departments across Florida are jumping through hoops because they have a deadline on the law that says that you will have security in the schools and they're trying to get people hired and trained in time. Yeah. And it's a very big challenge. Plus you gotta keep you gotta keep guys on the road. You gotta keep guys on the road protecting the regular the general public. So how do we counter that? I mean, you know, is it a private, you know, is it the actual school school board police or whatever? And where we live, we they have their own police agency, the schools. Right. So is that the answer? I mean, I I don't know. The it's it's there somewhere. I don't know what the answer is. Um, I don't make the you know. I don't have to try and figure it out. Thank God. But somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to somebody's got to figure out. Uh, a solution or uh, start the ball rolling at least in that way to start getting results save the children that's the bottom line <clears throat> the next on our next story uh, it's gonna be let's see the city of New York um, this story is actually isn't brand new but it's a story that pertains to schools since we're on that subject and uh, matter of fact Danny had brought it up to me and I was flabbergasted when I read it, when I was doing the show, because I didn't hear anything about it. I mean, everything going on in, in today with the schools and everything, school shootings, and you have one in California now. And you, this story that I read was the last thing I expected to read. So um, <clears throat> the city of uh, New York Department of Education, it inked a new agreement with the New York City Police Department, the first in more than two decades. And you would think that would be good. That's, I mean, you hear those words. That's awesome, right? Well, they probably don't want to arrest anybody in the schools in New York. It goes a little bit further than that. The deal will curtail the role of police in schools. The Memorandum of Understanding dictates that the police department's authority over school safety officers across the city limiting their roles and signaling a significant break. My, my teleprompter is flashing on me. Told you it'd be a show of, of challenges as I control it from my desk here. <clears throat> so anyway, the um, limiting their role and signaling a significant breakaway from zero tolerance policies that civil rights activists have long con- contribute to school to prison pipeline. The new agreement represents a major shift in school discipline practices that should curtail the harmful impacts of school to prison pipeline and make school a safe place, supportive place to learn particularly for students of color, Donna Lieberman, executive director at the New York City Civil Liberties Union, says. For too long, New York City public school students have had to face an overly punitive disciplinary system that treats them as criminals. Who is that? 
The Civil Criminal, the it, Criminal Liberties Union? It's the, it is the executive director at the New York Civil Liberties Union. Oh, I thought you said Criminal Liberties no, Union. No. no, I didn't. Okay. I, I don't think I did. Did I say that, Danny? I didn't say uh, criminal. No, maybe I did. Okay. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so it said that um, even as elementary school students, uh, the disciplinary student uh, system uh, treats them as criminals. Uh, in 2017 and 2018, black and Latino students represented six, 67% of the student body, but accounted for 88% of the arrests and 92% of the summonses in schools, according to the NYCLU. They were also more likely to be handcuffed for misbehaving than their white peers. Among other things, the new agreement identifies categories of student misbehavior where officers should not make arrests, such as when students are being loud, are not wearing a proper uniform, cut class, are late to class, are caught smoking, gambling, or engaging in other types of disorderly conduct. I don't think I've ever arrested somebody for being loud. Or, or having the wrong clothes on. That's yeah, all a school that's, matter. Yeah, that's, I don't, I think that was just lumped into the. Uh, to make it sound good. Yeah, the, the do not arrest thing. Look, <clears throat> if you don't break the law, you don't get arrested. Well, that's and that's not breaking the law. I mean, if you're late late for class, is not a law. No, but I'm saying though, if you don't break the law, you don't have to worry about it. Exactly, but but why is that lumped into? And why are the parents not teaching these kids about discipline before they get to school? That's another question. But like I said, since when was being late for class, running in the halls, being loud? When is that an arrestable offense? Why is that wrapped into the whole arrest? Uh, thing. So um, the story continues. Uh, when school safety officers are called, the agreement stipulates that the officers should pursue disciplinary actions other than arrest, which is, which is right. It's not really our place. I mean, why would we even pursue disciplinary? You're, hey, your your kid was late for class. Why are you calling the law? Handle it. Tell his mom he's late for class all the time. Put him in. What are you calling me for? Put him in, uh, you know, I used, we would get, what, the, the um, detention. Well, they want detention. us to raise their kids is what they want. They've all, It's always been that way pretty much, but now it's even worse. I hated detention. <laughs> what did I hate detention? <laughs> I think the, my, I mean, maybe they should implement what my eighth grade teacher used to implement when you got in trouble. You would, and you would, didn't realize when you got in trouble, you would have to open up a dictionary, pick a page, and then write the whole page. And let me tell you something. Well, you may, you may think school. that's hard. You may think that's not hard. <laughs> but there are when you look at a dictionary page, you think, oh, that's easy. It's just one page. There are so many freaking words on a dictionary page. It's that's crazy. True. It's absolutely crazy. So, I think maybe <laughs> I would have been better off with that because when I was in school, if we did something bad, we got our ass whooped with a board. Yeah. So uh, you got a good paddle on the ass and you kind of remembered that. I think I only had one teacher that actually would physically, and that was Mrs. McDermott. Oh, we had him all right. She, my parents she would pull were called me up, up by to, the nape of my hair. My parents were called up to watch. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yeah, God forbid my, uh, my father showed up at the school. I, mm. God help you then. Mm, 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 mm. Anyway, uh, let's go back to the story. I could tell you some nightmare stories about me in high school that I don't want to touch on. Um, the agreement stipulates that officers should pursue disciplinary actions other than arrest, especially for low-level 
school-based offenses like marijuana. Low leaf. Low. That, low. It says that on there. <laughs> Low-level school-based offenses like marijuana possession. Yeah. Yeah. Is the school growing the stuff? What do you mean school-based? <laughs> School based, that's a good one. But I'm bummed. And we have a comedian in the control room too. Yeah. It's control it's school based. <laughs> but I mean, really? Marijuana. That's a low level offense for it for it. Well, it pretty is a pretty low level offense, depending on how much you have. But not in school. Not in school. <laughs> not with you don't ex I mean, you don't expect that from children. I mean, when you get older and you do that wow. I mean, that's all on you, but I don't know. Yeah, 2019, you know. All right, here's another low-level uh, school-based offense. Consumption of alcohol. <laughs> you mean you can't do that? <laughs> well, in school? Not at school, but... Oh, okay. I mean, the teachers can so that they can handle... I mean, it's like, how do you get through the school day with these pot-smoking, alcohol-drinking kids running around? Right? They're too busy. <laughs> I don't want to say it. Anyway, uh, also uh, graffiti and harassment, which, I mean, listen, I agree. That's, that's punishable. I mean, well, come on. You shouldn't graffiti be could be considered criminal mischief. Yes, absolutely. But yeah. I don't even but, think they'd but, do anything then, to but, tell you the truth. But I think an, an alternative to the graffiti thing is you give them a scrub brush, scrub brush some soap, and a little, little bit of elbow grease they got to put in. And if it takes them a couple hours to scrub it all off, that's what you punish me. But then nowadays you'll get in trouble for but child abuse. You know, see, what they don't even talk about here, I understand our school officers, our school resource officers, are more than just arresting them and taking them in and discipline. They counsel them. They talk to them. When two kids get in a hassle or get in a fight, they bring them in and they sit them both down. Sure. And, and, the, and the cop becomes more of a counselor and a friend and tries to help them out instead of – and tries to teach them how to work right. things out right. instead of fist fighting over it. Right. The, the, the school – a lot of people have a misconception. The, the image that they have is the school resource officer is there. He's a police officer. He's there as a police officer. Nobody takes into effect the counseling, the, you know, the, the mentoring. I mean there's a lot of kids these guys take under their wings. You know, it sounds like they don't even them. take that into consideration. No, they, well, it's New York, so I don't know. I, I, like I said, I don't know. It's listen, three years, ten months, brother. <laughs> I'm done. You're already done. Three years, ten, three years, ten months. I'm done. Are your kids still in high school? My daughter just graduated. Oh, thank God. She just graduated, <laughs> and uh, now you get a bigger set of headaches. Well, not really. I mean, she's <laughs> no, very, she's a good kid. She's but. very, very level headed. Just finished, EM, she finished EMT school before. She finished high school. There you go. Which is, I was like, why didn't I? Why didn't I do that? You know, I don't know. But uh, different circumstances, setting up the, the the values and the morals and the the standards with my kids was very important, very important. And sounds to me like they need to be concentrating on that in New York City schools. Sure. I mean, why not? You know, take care of that. I mean, what's? I I just don't understand it. I I don't understand it. Police presence in schools and a zero-tolerance disciplinary approach make students feel like criminals in their own classrooms. <laughs> Come on, really? I mean, get Do serious. Do I have to finish this story? Wait, i gotta, I got to no, get go through to this story. One. This, is, this one's <laughs> getting was, pretty old. That was Joanna Miller, director of the Education Policy Center. 
the outreach. Today's announcement is about treating kids like kids, allowing them to smoke pot, drink. <laughs> That's not, it doesn't say that, but um, um, allowing them to recover from mistakes and teaching them the tools to manage emotions and behavior, she said. The agreement is part of a much broader push by New York City Mayor, go figure, Bill de Blasio, who announced Thursday a major initiative to inject what's known as social and emotional learning into the New York City schools. <laughs> the term may sound warm and fuzzy. This is the story. I'm, you know, I'm not making it up. Yeah, I know. The, the term may sound warm and fuzzy, perhaps even new age. They always write it all up, warm and fuzzy, <laughs> on these New York City shows. <clears throat> Tony? Yeah. So you're allowed to smoke pot in school, but if you smoke a cigarette anywhere else in this city, they'll crucify you. <laughs> well, it's not good for you. Or if you if you drink more than how many ounces? What, 16 ounces of soda or whatever? Yeah, you can't have a, because you're drinking too much sugar. No, no, no 16 ounce sodas, but hey, here, take this joint to school, share it with your friends. <laughs> no more Frosties at 7 <laughs> Eleven. It's crazy. But take this joint to school and don't worry about it. Hey, do you have some chocolate milk in your lunchbox? No, but I got a fifth over here of the (laughs) (laughs) a fifth of Royal Crown. (laughs) Oi. Okay, yes, this is real. Um uh, social let me see, where was I? Warm and fuzzy, but even new age, but far from it, advocates say. Social and emotional learning when combined with traditional academic education prepares the whole child for life separate from school. From New York City schools, that means helping students to build and maintain positive relationships with coworkers, friends, and family, to learn how to resolve conflict constructively and to understand how their emotions affect their actions. Teachers, I'm sure they'll get a pay raise because they're going to be required to do this, right? To do more. Everybody, everybody want you know, the teachers. I mean, they they make a out, outrageous amount of money. These teachers. Yeah, but they get to drink too. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I'm being facetious. I mean, teachers they don't make. I mean, teachers' pay is a whole other subject and topic. I well, mean, apparently these, they get paid pretty good in New York, I guess. <laughs> I know. I don't think any teacher really gets paid. Good. No, I don't either. They don't get paid near enough. Actually, in Florida here, the governor's giving them a big raise. Yeah, but across the state, I think that's much? great. After how much? Well, that's the starting pay, though, I'm talking about. He's raising the starting pay yeah. a lot, which means that the top pay goes up, too. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand so that. So it's about time. But I, 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 I like still him. Don't he's, think... he's a good governor. DeSantis. He really is. He really is. He's a, he's a great governor. I like him. Um, but I'll just say that I don't think we're anywhere near close to what the teachers be, should be making nowadays. No. no, nowhere near it. So that's a that's a whole nother topic and a whole nother. They need a lot of work on that. But then you lay all this other stuff. Here's some more stuff for you to take care of for us. You yeah, know, we're not. We we still not going to pay you. But here now you. You, you know what do they this. need to do is stop teaching them home ec, and teach them how to sit down and pay bills. And balance a checkbook. Well, I thought that was part of home ec. No. Home economics no. is part of... Are you sure? No, that's doing laundry and cooking. No, and, no, no, no. No. They don't teach you to do laundry and home ec. <laughs> Come on. No, home ec, they teach you about that, uh, you know, balancing checkbooks well, they and should. all that other stuff. That's all. They need to. So, wow. 
You just threw me off with the laundry. Yeah, they got like a Mr. Sud set up in the classroom. <laughs> okay. That's why they eat Tide Pods. Oh, that's terrible. That's just wrong. We're way off now. <laughs> Go to the next story. Wait, let me finish on this because I don't want to leave the teachers out. They're very important. And people need to know what these they're expecting of these teachers, which is ridiculous. So now teachers will receive training on that. Right? They, it's not bad enough that they have to go through all this, uh, you know, schooling, you know, and all the requirements to become a teacher. And then the, the, the progressive training and the additional training as things change and move on and stuff. Now they have to learn uh, how to incorporate this program into, into their school day. And the school system is also hiring a new team of 85 licensed social workers that schools can call when a student is experiencing a crisis. The uptick in interest in social and emotional learning comes as states begin to implement new K-12 education plans that are required by federal law to take into consideration non-academic factors like school climate and students' perception of safety, providing what some describe as the perfect opportunity for educators to get serious about so-called soft skills that can have an outsized impact on student success. So I, and I, <laughs> they say anything in there, how much they're going to spend for security for, so they don't have outside people come in and start killing kids. I guess they left that part out. Listen, I think maybe they're thinking, you know, if we drug them and, and, and get them drunk, then they won't have to think about, that stuff, worrying about somebody coming to their school. Yeah, or bouncing or a checkbook or anything. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. We definitely have our priorities in the wrong place. Um, the kids should always come first no matter what. Yeah. And you have to, the first thing you do is you protect them. You're giving them the safe place. I mean, you always, I always thought school was my safe place. I mean, we didn't have really have that back then. Know. We didn't have that problem either. You know, but that was, I never even had to think about that. But, you know, I guess as a kid, as a kid it was just natural to know that that was your place. That was your safe place. School was your safe place. So um, we need to prioritize. We need to get that back. We need to get rid of that. I mean, you put these social people in here and stuff. Get Listen, the teachers are a very good tool. Um because of their direct dealings with these kids and stuff. And and teachers like us, they have their own kids too. They raise their own kids. I mean, you don't need however many social people being added to the system. Let the teachers do what they do best, and that's nurture our kids. Nurture our kids. Teach them, nurture them, you know, be there for them. I mean, it's it's just absolutely ridiculous that you inject more money into the wrong areas for these schools. Get the safety going. Get all, When you have extra money to throw at the schools and you have nothing else you could do with it, go ahead, throw some, then throw some counselors or throw some social workers in there. But really? You, you're going to... I think they need those police officers for more than just uh, what they're doing. Right. It's just absolutely crazy. Well, they hate the police up there anyway. <sighs> All right, let's move on because uh, let's see. In Indiana, a police dog was shot Wednesday while uh, tracking down a suspected drunken driver. 
who tried to escape police by bolting through a wooded area. Canine Harledge, excuse me. Harledge? Harledge. H-A-R-L-E-J. Okay. Harledge. Harledge. He must have been a Kentucky dog. Indiana. (laughs) Close. Canine Harledge had been called in to help officers in the manhunt for 19-year-old Richard Garrett Jr., who had run from his vehicle after a brief car chase on Interstate 69. Canine officers Jared Koopman, I'm sorry, Jared Koopman, Harledge's handler, eventually spotted Garrett and ordered him to surrender, but Garrett refused and ran away, prompting Koopman to let Harledge off of his leash to chase the suspect. What? Nothing. You don't like that? No, I'm waiting. Oh. Go ahead. Because <laughs> you were a canine yeah, deputy. But I, know, I know this is near and dear to you to, when it comes to the canines, and that, that show that we had with the canines was an awesome show. Yeah, and I got something on that too, but go uh, ahead. That was a really good show. Remember that. Write it down. Or jot it or something. I got it right here. <clears throat> Harledge. Um, he was a five-year-old Belgian Malinois. Same breed as the military dog who helped take out ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi last month. He ran ahead of Koopman and out of his sight. Officers then heard a gunshot and were unable to find Harledge. Community members honored Harledge with a memorial of drawings and handwritten notes of encouragement, the department said. From what I understand with the story, uh, they after several hours, uh, they found this guy with a leg injury and um, believed to be from a dog bite. And then uh, later on, they found the Harledge dead in a wooded area. He had succumbed to a gunshot wound. So he shot him while he was biting him? Yeah, probably. Probably so. He was probably, you know, because obviously it said that they found him later, so he was running, the dog was still with him and continuing with him and stuff. Might have even been hanging on to him, dragging him and stuff. Well, uh, here's one that goes along with our canine show two weeks ago. Uh, Florida bloodhounds find missing three-year-old with autism in under 30 minutes. Pensacola, Florida, in less than a half hour, a couple of bloodhounds belonging to the Florida Sheriff's Office found a missing three-year-old boy with autism who had wandered alone into the thick woods of the Panhandle Sunday. Audra Hughes said her mother was watching her son Adric, and was in the bathroom when the boy apparently managed to unlock the deadbolt to the front door and went for his little adventure, she said. It's awesome, though. It is awesome. It's awesome. The, those dogs are... And thank God, like, Broward's got two or three, three yeah. uh, bloodhound teams, yeah. and so does Palm Beach County. Yeah, I had, uh, as a matter of fact, Debbie Wallace. She's a, she's a deputy, a bloodhound deputy with the sheriff's office. She's, she's good people. I talked to her about having a bloodhound special one day, so that'd be good. Yeah, maybe one day we'll get them them in here. That'd be do, great. Yeah, yeah. She said she would she would be very interested in doing that. The bloodhounds are special, special. All our dogs are special animals, but you know the the bloodhounds are really, really special. Um, so we'll finish up with the the story. It um, it is uh, my belief he saved lives last night. And we, th- we are thankful for his sacrifice, Chief Ed Gebhardt said of, the Har- of Harledge during a press conference. Police set up a memorial for him in the department's lobby, and community m- members have already contributed a number of handwritten notes and drawings. So um, <clears throat> I know how much these dogs mean to 
to you guys. I know. And I'll talk. Uh, when I started with the sheriff's office, I think you know I started off as a dispatcher. And um, I originally uh, was, I was in a very prominent position before I got hired with the sheriff's office with another, with a private company. And I had an opportunity to move to Birmingham, Alabama. In fact, I had already gone up there and scouted my home. I was uh, received, what happened? Nothing. <laughs> I had received, uh, you know, they all expensive paid trip up there for a week to find home, find a home, you know, bring my family, everything. Found the home in Montgomery uh, toward the new facility that I'd be running with them. Um, and I applied for the sheriff's office prior, earlier in that year. And uh, I got, um, the like the month before we were supposed to leave, the sheriff's office called and said, listen, do you want the job? Because you can start January 3rd. They originally set a date in December, but I forgot what it was. But then they called me back and said, listen, can you make it January 3rd? So I went to the vice president of the company and I told them what I had. And I said, listen, now it's all about my family. I really need to... You know, can you meet their benefits? This is what they're offering me. And he said, listen, he goes, you go. You're a great employee. I hate to see you go. Here's severance. I can't give you that. And that's when I started with the sheriff's office. And I started in dispatch. And um, in dispatch, even though a lot of guys don't like to believe it, um, very many of the guys become our friends. They're like friends that you've never put a face to, but they become your friends, yeah. including the canines. And we had some great canines that we knew. Matter of fact, it was a canine officer in Davy that when I worked at Davy Radio that uh, encouraged, not encouraged physically by telling me, but but what went on what went on on that radio every day that I worked it that I loved it so much that it enticed me to go out and go for a ride along, which enticed me when once I went for the ride along I said that was oh, the end this, of it. this is where I want to be, and uh, but I had friends that I'd never met through the airwaves who I felt became you know like really really good friends even though I've never met you face to face I don't know you from Joe I know you by your call sign I know your name because obviously I know your CCN I know you come on at this day I know what you're known for I know you if you're a troublemaker you're a shit magnet you know I know who you are and what you do and the canine guys uh, were were more were closer because you knew there were certain canine guys that can go on duty and you knew if that canine guy was 10 8 was on was was working that night you were going on a foot chase at some time during the night there were certain deputies like that and i knew that and uh one in particular very good very 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 good um canine was mike matroka and mike was killed while i was working one night and I worked that radio um, from start to finish, refused to get off the radio, handled hundreds of units from agencies all over the county, not including command and all that other stuff, and didn't stop until they caught the guy. Because what happened was Mike was T-boned and then stuck in his car. His, uh, his dog, Wodon, had gotten out, chased after the perp, but then when Mike wasn't behind him, he turned around and stayed with him. Unfortunately, Mike passed, and the perp hid in one of the houses, but we ended up tracking and finding. And, and later, uh, I became really good friends with his wife, um, or his widow, um, Donna, 
and uh, ended up moving three houses down from her and became really good friends with her. And my son at the time, Anthony, my younger son, my older son, was, I forgot how old he was, became best friends with Wodon. And because Donna got Mike's dog. And uh, he was a Belgian Mal Malinois. And unfortunately, Wodon, something happened to him where he ended up passing away. It was very heartbreaking, but, but you become friend, you become, they are your family. I mean, they're just, they become part of your family. They are very, it's very hard to lose a dog like that well it's hard to lose a, a normal pet let alone a dog that you spend eight hours a night with or 12 hours a day with bonding and feeding them and washing them and bathing them and taking them to the vet and you live with that dog you know right like you always hear guys say well, i see more of you than i do my wife yeah well they see more of the dog than they do their wife that's true so there you go and don't forget the bond i mean everybody builds a bond with their animals and they become their children and stuff like that but no bond is more special than the bond of a police dog who every day, without hesitation and doesn't even understand, uh, is going to put their life on their line to make sure that yours doesn't get taken. Yeah. That, and that is a bond that, I mean, that is, how could you not be emotionally attached to this person who's willing to take the bullet for you every day without hesitation? And if you throw the ball to him, he's happy as a pig and shit. Throw him the, what do they call it, a Kong? A Kong, is that what it's called? The ball thing that you throw? Ball, or, no, or no, it's a ball. Some, it's called a Kong. It's like a three-tier ball. Or oh, whatever. well, no, I didn't have one. I those. think that's what it's called. But anyway, but you know what? That's all the dog wants from you. Just throw me the ball. There's a, there's a, a Disney movie or something where this, or something where the, they, they put words to... <laughs> call in here brian yeah brian call in no excuses for you we love our dogs we don't like our dogs i know that i know that for a fact i know you guys are, are bonded to your dogs they're a very special it's a special team it's a special marriage you might say but um that's pretty that was pretty sad that i just got a text message from a friend of mine who said because we like our dogs so brian call in will you <laughs> so anyway uh, we love the canines we're very grateful for them I've, I've, I know uh, there are a lot of canine guys that I've worked with in the 25 years I've been with that I'm very grateful for who have gotten me out of tight jams um, Frank Mayo Roy Baraglia right. back in the day of uh, I, um, I know Matroka's wife too. I'm friends with her on Facebook. Donna, yeah, yeah, but she—I think she moved away now. Yeah, she did. Central Florida. Yeah, yeah. We lived. Um, we lived two houses down from her. Um, it was rough for her the first few years, you know. Oh, of course. And I think we kind of bonded, especially because I was the dispatcher that worked that day. I got all kinds of awards and accolades, but that didn't mean anything to me because you know, like I said, Mike was like one of my friends. You know, that was back of the day, you know, Pete Fortunato was canine back then. You knew when Pete was working, he was going after somebody. Oh, yeah. Pete's 31, I'm telling you, he's going. Yeah. So, I mean, we had we had really good guys. We still have really good canine guys. I just don't know them like I did as a dispatcher. As a dispatcher, you get to know pretty much everybody. Yeah, now you Even don't though know you don't ever see me. You don't know anybody but who works in your district anymore. On your shift. Whew. It's, it's, you know, the way the shifts run, it's, it's, you know, you're lucky you know the people who are your relief shift. See, when I started, we didn't have districts. We just had 
the Rope Patrol. Dirt roads. We worked out of one building. <laughs> and we had nine zones. So, Yeah, the, back then, was that when the county was divided in, qua, in a quadrant, like four? No, or? we just had nine zones. Really? All over, spread out all over the county. Yeah, that's crazy. And uh, there were times on uh, midnight shift when we had training and vacations and stuff, we'd work the county with three people. One north, one south, and one center. One sergeant running back and forth if we needed him. Wow. That's when I started. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. You had to send smoke signals too, right? Was Just like about, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that, <laughs> to go to the, the that goes back to what we're going to talk about tonight, being in control. Yeah. yeah. And we, I'll talk we, about we that get, in a few minutes. A, I wanted to give you an update on a story uh, that we, we discussed last week involving a young boy named uh, James Shelton from Germantown, Maryland. Uh, who had made a handmade wooden uh, blue line flag? Did you hear? Did you? Did you oh yeah, it? yeah, okay. yeah. So he handmade and gifted a local police department a wooden thin line, uh, thin blue line flag. But he was told by Montgomery, Montgomery County Executive Mark Elric that the flag would not be displayed anywhere because it was divisive, which is bullshit, fl flabbergasted. I, I'm, I'm just. I understand. There are issues, but I'm not, no, there's I'm not. not, I'm not, I'm not going to go. No back. issues with that flag. I'm not going to go back and just go back into it like I did last week. But um, this week, though, members of the nonprofit group Brothers Before Others handed out thin blue line flags along with coffee and donuts. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, thanks, guys. You know, my sister gifted me. Yeah, my sister gifted me a box of Dunkin' Donuts when I graduated the police academy. You know, typical. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, donuts and cups. I have a I have a, a decal, a bumper sticker that I don't have on a car because I cherish it, magneted to my door at home when you come in from the garage, and it says, "No one would make fun of cops if they ate grapes." That's true. My daughter gave that to me a long time. Many. I forgot how old she was. Well, yeah. I didn't. I, I had uh, Carol Wardgen yeah. riding with me, and I, I was know. training her. And I took her to Dunkin' Donuts, I remember. But just for the coffee, I didn't well, like it. Well, that's just it. I mean, people I didn't go for the donuts, but I just liked their coffee people better than everybody People don't realize else's. it's really just the coffee. If Starbucks wasn't around. Of course, I wouldn't go there anyway because oh, their coffee sucks. But that's <laughs> Anyway, they passed out uh, thin blue line flags uh, with coffee and donuts at the 5th District Police Station in Germantown in a show of support for the Montgomery County Police, which is awesome. Uh, the charity's demonstration comes about a week after Montgomery County Eric Mark, uh, Executive Mark Elric decided that a wooden wall hanging bearing the thin blue line should not be hung at the Germantown Police Station. Thin blue line flags are typically, typically black and white American flags with a single stripe of blue running beneath the stars. They are meant to show support for law enforcement officers. On November 2nd, when James Shelton <clears throat> and his son delivered a wall hanging with the thin blue line flag printed on it, later in the week, 5th District Station thanked Shelton and announced on Facebook and Twitter that the wooden flag would be displayed. Uh, social media posts were met with some pushback from members of the community who felt that it resembles has a resemblance to Blue Lives Matter symbols. Uh, one post noted that the thin and we blue can't line have that. I mean, you can't have Blue Lives Matter. Holy... <laughs> That's really radical. That's a whole nother, whole nother topic. That's another show. Cause it, cause we don't matter. The no. blue line, the blue line doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. A lot of people misunderstand what the blue line care. is. They don't understand that it's 
the thin blue line isn't a isn't a line of us protecting other cops from getting in trouble for what they do because we don't condone that. No, the thin blue line is us standing between them and anarchy. That's right. It's they don't understand that it's a thin blue line. But the people, the most of the people do broken, understand. The normal people. Yeah. Well. Yes. Yes. The people they do. with the more radical intent and more liberal or more social justice minded. And, and I believe some of them know too, but they use it to their advantage. Agreed. Um, so, <clears throat> where was I? Okay. So, county resident Laura Weedall joined the brothers before the others' demonstration and said, and showed support by, um, by supporting the local police by bringing her own blue, blue line flag. Um, she noted that the backlash on social media to the flag released a statement saying that it shouldn't be taken. It should be taken down. Acting Police Chief Marcus Jones and I understand the concerns of the community. The flag provides a symbol of support to some, but it is a symbol of dis dismissiveness to others. Because it is divisive, the flag will not be posted at the fifth district nor in any other public space within our police department. Now, see, this is where police chiefs. And prob probably mayors, but they get elected, so they're not going to. This is where police chiefs have to tell some of those people who are complaining about the blue line flag, no, we're going to display it, whether you like it or not, because this is what the flag, flag stands for, and we got the nerve, and we're not going to put up with your bullshit. We're going to put the flag up in the police department. If you don't like it, too damn bad. Yeah. And then when more people start telling them no... Then they'll go, oh, well, I guess there's no sense in complaining. Well, but it's not when, like when that. When you so. have, unfortunately, the, if, you, if you put up that kind of stance, then you're stereotyped as you don't want to take it down because you're racist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about this anymore. Let's go on okay. before Good I idea. lose it. Good idea. So... Uh, uh, the police department, what was under, the, under my administration, we are committed to improving police relations with the community and will immediately address any action that stands against our mission, he said. Since his announcement, local civic groups and elected officials, included, including Gary, Governor Larry Hogan, have made it clear they do not agree with Elric's decision, which is good. The, the governor is saying. So Hogan posted <clears throat> photos of himself on Twitter posing in front of similar flags, saying we're proud to hang the, these thin blue line flags in the government house to honor our brave law enforcement officers. That's all it is. There you go. It's all it is. A local elected official prohibiting police from displaying a, a flag given to them by a grateful child is disgraceful. I agree. Brothers Before Others also took offense to Elric's decision and announced in a statement that they would show their support outside the 5th District Police Station by handing out blue line flags. They also invited Hogan to join them during their midday demonstration. Although Hogan did not make an appearance, a small group of people gathered in front of the parking lot, in the front parking lot outside the station, carrying their own blue line flags and chatting with officers from the pre precinct. Unfortunately, in America, we can't control who displays what and where. That's, that's the freedom we protect and the freedom that we have, said Rob O'Donnell. To the supporters of the to the group of supporters, O'Donnell served as a police officer for 14 years and currently serves as the organization's director of business and media relations. 
So because this flag was hijacked in maybe a half a dozen cases over its more than 60-year history, doesn't make it racist or a white supremacist symbol. What it stands for is those police officers who put their badges on every day, leave their homes not knowing if they're going to come home, serve their community, regardless of the demographics of that community, and do that job day in and day out. They deserve this support. O'Donnell went on to say that there is a bond between the community and the police force that serves it, and Elric's decision threw a wedge through that bond. He could have simply said, put it in a non-public facing room, but in, put it in a locker room, put it in the gym. Instead, he came out with a statement saying, this is what we want. He wanted to put it he wanted to put out there is his anti-police rhetoric, that anti-blue line rhetoric, so that he would also get kudos from his supporters. Other participants in the demonstration cited similar issues with Elric's decision. Susie Brown Butler explained that she supports Montgomery County Police 100% and has seen firsthand the stress officers are under because her own father was a police officer. They don't get enough support from the public or the government. I think no one appreciates what they do, she said. I think this demonstration is very important because police officers need to see that there are people behind them, which is right. Yep. You, you, when, when we don't see that, it's a, mor- it's a morale bo- bo- buster. You know? It's... Do you know Sheriff Grady Judd? I know he was Polk one of County. He, I know he was one of the very outspoken sheriff. Yeah, in Florida. one of the guys. He was in the news lately, wasn't he? He's been in the news all the time, and he's the kind of guy. Where they had a uh, a guy kill a police dog and murder someone else. Fled into the woods. SWAT team went in the woods after him. They had a shootout with the guy. They killed him, and they asked the media asked Grady. Uh, Judd in uh, a press conference why they fired so many bullets. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this. This was a and, while ago. And he had story. the nerve to say because they ran out of bullets. Yeah, yeah. I read that story a while well, ago. But, but Do you think he would have let this thing fly or no? He would have hung that sucker up in front of the jail. And no, matter of fact, they wouldn't even have had the balls to question him, probably, because he's that kind of sheriff. <clears throat> I'm lost for words. <laughs> I love the guy. I wanted, I wanted to say something, but I think I'm better off not saying it. I'm amazed. I'll say it for you. Don't worry. Because of me? Because you're at a loss for words. You, oh. <laughs> He's cheering me on in there. He's waiting for me to lose it and start saying things about stuff, but I'm not going to do that tonight because I took my medication. At the rate you're going, it's going to be a five-hour show, but go ahead. Okay, yeah, I'm, right. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, so police officers need to see that there are people behind them. Their morale is so low right now, and a lot of that has to do with Mark Elric. He went on to explain that thin blue line flags are not about Black Lives Matters movements or the Blue Line Matters movement, but about supporting the police. Brown Butler noted that there are good and bad people in every area of life. There are bad apples in every walk of life. There are bad apples in clergy. I mean, there have been things that happen in the Catholic Church. So are you going to go there and take down the statues of Mary and Joseph? No, she said. There have been some terrible rapes by some illegal aliens, and they happen to be Hispanic. So is he going to go into all the Mexican restaurants in the area and take down everything having to do with their country? No, and he shouldn't. 
She explained that she feels like Elric is just picking on the police department. Michael Guglius, Guglius, who also attended attended the demonstration, said that the county executive's criticism and the anti-police sentiment is completely uncalled for. Why would you criticize the flag? Why would you criticize the kid who made it? And why would you criticize the police? The police are here for everybody. Imagine if there were no police. Then blue line. <clears throat> if there were no police, what type of community would we have, he said. Guglius went on to explain that Montgomery County is a fabulous community, one that is very diverse. And still it has come with a government that is trying to denigrate and tear our community apart and pit one against the other, he said. So, I just wanted to touch base on that because, I, you know, he started a fire in that community uh, that he probably didn't want to start. Um, this, the thin blue line flag, it makes me proud to know that people are supporting us. Yes. It shows us support. Well, it sounds to me like that guy put the fire out pretty good, though. Which one? The guy that came back and said, we're going to hang these flags and we support the people. And Yeah, but it's still not... Uh, it's still not at the police station. I mean, it was a sh it was a it was an event where the flags were displayed, but they right. were gone when the event was over. I mean, so at least people came out for us. Yeah, and they're still they're still supporting them. So who knows what'll come next? I mean, they'll probably have more rallies and stuff, and eventually, the flag should get hung in a locker room or something, or in a roll call room where the public doesn't see it. But you know, to that to us, that means a lot. I mean, kids go every day and do stuff for us. Later on, I'm gonna I'm gonna. This, it's very good that I talked about this topic for the end of the show, and you'll see why. You'll see why. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. So uh, as a reminder, if you have a comment, question, or story, and I'm surprised that uh, these canine guys haven't called in. I mean, what's up with that? That's that's disappointing. Maybe they're out chasing people. Come on. <laughs> as a reminder, if you have a comment, question, or story you'd like to share, join the conversation. That's the whole point of calling in. Remember the toll-free number. Uh, give the podcast studio a call at toll-free, no money, 888-511-COPS. That's 888-511-2677. Um, we're going to get into that topic now, uh, how police officers interact with people during certain situations, how the public reacts or should react um, with us uh, during certain situations. And a lot of people assume... They know what's going on, or you know how the way an officer handles something is because he's you know just because he's being mean or just you know. So uh, to take a little bit of that um, thought process process out, I guess we'll discuss some of the things uh, like um, I guess the the most common law enforcement interaction with people are the traffic stops. So it's a good you know. start. <laughs> Well, people, you, you said it would be a good. You start, know, people so that's need to. Why we're starting with it? No, but people need to understand though that in their job, if a lady's working in a bank, or a guy is a bank teller, or a guy's a cab driver, or working in Publix, he doesn't see things the way we do. When we work in our job, every incident is different, and our personality has to match that incident. And then the longer you're a cop, the better you become at changing your approach to people and what you have to do. Sometimes we have to be really tough. And other times we can be 
just as gentle as pie. But as far as traffic stops go, you know, I was a motorcycle cop. So for eight years, I wrote a lot of tickets. That was my job. That's what I did. A lot of people didn't get off because my job was to write tickets. Right. However, that being said, if you get stopped by a cop, you have a 50-50 chance of getting off that ticket, the average cop. Because you got to remember, we're human too. We do have some compassion. Depending on what you did wrong, of course, but if, if you get stopped and you're nice to the cop and you're polite and you don't swear at him, you don't curse at him, you don't cop an attitude, <clears throat> then you got a 50-50 chance of him giving you a warning and letting you go. Right. I mean, that's just human nature, and that's just the way it is. Now, if you did something real bad, he's not going to let you go. Right. It all if depends on the circumstances. Reckless right. or driving like a lunatic or something. Right. But we also know that we've seen plenty of these videos where cops pull people over, and they refuse to roll the window down. And they have this attitude that I don't owe you anything. I don't have to give you anything. They crack the window an inch so sovereign they can citizens, talk to the cop. Sovereign citizens have a And sovereign a citizens do that. that we, we discussed the, that last week with the countering yeah. uh, uh, violent extremism. The sovereign citizens. I remember that. One of them. But I also had arrested one of those guys right before I retired. And it depends. And this is a perfect example now that I think about it on how you treat people. Because at first I had to be real tough on him. Because he was giving me the sovereign citizen song and dance. Mm -hmm. By the time I finished and he was going off to to the main county jail, he was thanking me. Right. I appreciate it. Thanks. You're right. I kind of think the sovereign stuff's a bunch of crap. And you're right. And I was, so I was shocked. But but anyway, the people in these cars, if they if you cop that kind of an attitude, do you really believe the cops just going to say? You're right. I'm sorry. Have a nice day. Go on your way. It's not going to happen. It's going to end real bad for you. And people force us to arrest them. They force us into taking enforcement action when normally we wouldn't. Right. Prime example is when you and I were at the airport. How many times did you tell people, I'm sorry, you have to move. You can't park here. But Transportation but, but, Security but, but, Administration but, but. tells the sheriff's office, Keep these cars moving. If you don't, you get the fine. Right. So I remember one day I walked up to a lady and I said, pardon me, ma'am. You're not allowed to park here longer than five minutes. If your people aren't out here at the curb, you need to drive around one time and come back and maybe they'll be here by then. And she looked at me and said, F you, I'm not moving. Now, what do you think happened to her? I've had a One thing led to another and she ended up in the backseat of my car. Her car got towed, and she went off to the county jail. If she had said, you know, you're right, I'll be right back. Oh, what a pain it is, officer, to have to drive around. You know, I would have understood all that, no problem. I can understand people trying to talk their way out of a ticket. Right. But when you act like that, you leave us yeah, no it's, choice. it's tough. It's um, with when it comes to traffic stops, I mean, a lot of people think, uh, first of all, the misnomer that we have a quota, right? And I quote unquote, dun -dun -dun. yeah. No, seriously, the uh, quota that we have to make a certain amount of, <laughs> we have to write a certain amount of tickets. You know, that's probably not one of the th first things you want to blurt out of your mouth when you get stopped. No. Um, you know, sometimes 
I'll joke around and say, yeah, I'm trying to get the microwave or whatever this yeah. week or something, <laughs> but, you know. But, uh, you know, sometimes, it, and depending on the person, and it's it's not, there is no certain demographic or age limit to the people that do this. I mean, everybody does it. Older people, you know, some people, I, I have to, I stop and I think, really, this, you're, you're saying this? But, um, you know, people actually think, uh, one, of my, one of my biggest pet peeves is, what did I do? Well, you know, the first question, I walk up and I ask you for your stuff and you say, what did I do? You know what you did. You know what you did. I don't have to make stuff up, stuff up, stuff up, to give you a ticket, because there are violations going on around me every day, all the time. I don't have to sit and try to find something. It's there. And I mean, look, you know, like you, like you're saying, if they would just give me your license, registration, and proof of insurance, and say, "What did I do, officer? Is there a problem?" Maybe you did something he didn't know he did, mm -hmm. but just ask. You don't have to cop an attitude. That's that's the whole thing is copping the attitude. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was a, a motorcycle deputy, um, I was pretty hardcore. I wrote two or three hundred tickets a month, and um, I pulled this lady over one time, and it was in a bad part of town. She was a single mom, had a couple of kids in the car, and she didn't have her kid in the baby seat, sitting in the car seat. So I had stopped her for that, and I talked to her for a minute or two, and I said, you divorced? And yes. And uh, does your uh, father say, of the children? Yeah. Is your father of the children uh, paying you any money? Hell no. <laughs> I said, okay, wait here. So I go back to the car, and I thought to myself, well, I can either give her a ticket and send her on her way like I should do, or... I can go up and warn her and give her some information where she can get a car seat and then see if I can work something out with her. Because she's going to look at it two, one of two ways I knew. In two weeks from now, when the deadline came up, she has to pay this fine. Right. If she doesn't pay the fine, she gets her driver's license suspended. Right. If she doesn't pay the fine, she can't buy groceries for the week. So what do you think she's going to do? She's not going to pay the fine. She's going to buy the groceries. Her license is going to get suspended, and then she ends up in this big circle. Yep. And, and she's she still going to drive the car. Because she can't. Exactly. She's She'll get another to, ticket yep. and another ticket, yep. and she can't afford to pay it, and it yeah. keeps growing yeah. and it's growing it. and growing. Instead, I walked up and said, ma'am, listen, if you go to the firehouse, you can get a seat for free. Have a nice day. Now, I that, think we've that's all, a difference. We've all had incidents. Of, of course, incidents with that, because we're human. We're not. We're not monsters. There are times that that happens. There, there are more times than people even think there are where we will say, hey, "You know what? Have a nice day. This is what you could do. This is what you can do." We take all that into consideration. But when you start off with, uh, "Don't you have better things to do? Don't you have criminals to arrest?" I pay your salary, you know. I pay my own salary. I pay taxes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, there's a certain way that you interact with the police when you have, you know, yeah, we have the training and everything that we go through, but nothing can train you better for this job than the experience itself in the years that you, that you uh, grow with it and you learn nothing. All the training in the world wouldn't, uh, would not teach me all the thing, everything that I really need to know as a law enforcement officer and applying applying what I do every day. 
all the training in the world from where I work would not have gotten me to this point where I'm at in as far as knowing your more common sense and your everyday human things to do. I mean, it's just you have to apply your knowledge as you go along. You make mistakes and, you know, you make stupid decisions in the beginning. You make mistakes. But I've always been taught and told, especially the story that I told you about, you know, when I when I got hired by the sheriff's office. And I went to the road. One thing I forgot to tell you was, you know, when I when I got hired, uh, I originally didn't get hired at first. And the deadline was coming to move with this company. And I really didn't want to go to Alabama. I really didn't. And I went to the person in charge at that time of communications and begged and said, listen, please, I really, you know, I need this. And the person in charge, and I, I won't mention his name or anything, but he's a very, he, he was a very, uh, he's, not that he's gone. He's gone from the agency, but he's still around. Uh, said, listen, if I do this for you, you better put in 110%. And I did. And he was the same person I went to when I decided to go to the road. And because of what I did and put in the 110%, the couple of years that I did start, he gave me his blessings and knew that I would do, wouldn't have a problem with doing that. So anyway, so the, in my experience learning... In the beginning of you know my career, you make stupid moves. You make stupid you know. Later on in life, you do things like you. I've I've personally, in old District Nine, brought people car seats from because we used to have them. I don't know if they still do it now or if they did it. I don't know how far back you went. We had car seats at the station. We had bicycle helmets. We had years, car seats. Something like that. <laughs> back then, they give you they give you the whips for the horses and stuff. <laughs> no, I was on a motorcycle, but you know. But um. <laughs> But yeah, I've uh, I've had incidents with that where I've had you know passengers with kids on laps, which is a big, big no no. Ugh! And I literally went back to the station, picked up car seats, went to their house, and delivered car seats to them. You know, sometimes you do that. You know, we're human, and and it's just it all depends on your interaction. I, I just saw an article uh, within the last couple of weeks that a uh, grandmother was driving with her child in the car without a car seat, had a bad crash, and the kid was killed. And now they're charging her with uh, vehicular manslaughter. It's tough. So It's you know. tough. Listen, to to go through that and then to be charged and have to relive it over and over again while you're being charged and do all that, it's, it's terrible. Um, but, you know, it could have been avoided. I tell people nowadays, I even told, there was a car, there was a vehicle that pulled up uh, at a service station the other day while I was at work. And the person, the fem- woman got out and she went into the store and there's a little, it must have been two, no more than two, at the steering wheel. You're playing and I'm like, I walk over to the car and there's another one, in, another child in the back seat. She's probably four or five or whatever. And I'm just thinking, gotta, I gotta somehow let this woman know. Um, I think the last show I I, discussed, I said something about uh, people seeing what our eyes see. You don't want to see what our eyes see. No, no. And <clears throat> I I uh, I waited for her to come out, and she come out yelling at the little girl in the back seat. I told you keep him back there. And I go, wait, ma'am. I'm like, uh, do you have your license, registration, insurance? She's like, yes. So she gives it to me, and I go, I go to my car, and she goes, but aren't they older? I go, you can't leave the child in the car with the car running. You just can't. And the Florida law says after 15 minutes, even if it's not running, then it becomes a criminal offense. 
So I go to my car and I run her and I see she's a, she's military. She, oh, she handed me her military ID also. She goes, here's my military ID. And I'm like, um, so I go to my car and I run her, I check her. She, and then she says, I just moved back from, I just moved here from wherever they moved, Tennessee, I think it was. And I said, well, I'm going to give you a rundown on Florida law. This is Florida law. And this is the children, this is the car seat, this is the booster seat, blah, 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 blah. This is the changing your address in a certain amount of time. This is the change your vehicle tag. And I'm telling you this because, not because I want to chastise you, but because I want to educate you so that you avoid future run-ins with your problems that you're going to have. And the biggest thing you're going to have is the child, not in a child seat, car seat. And I said, she goes, well, he, she's so-and-so, however many years old. I go, listen, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. This one is too small to be in a booster seat. This one's too small to have a seat belt on. This is what you need to do. And I'm telling you, not because uh, I want to bust your chops, but because I'm the one that has to tell you in the hospital when I go there that your child is not with us any longer when you have the car accident. I'm the one that has to deal with what they look like on the roads after they're ejected from the vehicle because it's not pretty. No. And I tell them I do. I am not afraid to tell people that I'm zero tolerance to kids because of the state that I've seen them in after the accidents. I won't get physically graphic with them, but if people, if you put it to them like that. It kind of gives them a different perspective of it. And the lady walked, the lady drove away without, you know, tickets for her, you know, because I could have gave her a ticket for leaving the kids in the vehicle. I could have gave her that. It could have been a criminal ticket. 15 minutes in a car. Whether it's running or not, you can't leave children in there. Cracked windshield. No, the out-of-state tags, there's no, you know, you've been living here for, for two months already. Your license hasn't changed. I could give you all that. Do I really need to? No. Oh, and by the way, thank you for your service. Because we appreciate our vets. Have yeah. a good day. Well, you know, like I was getting back to that car stop thing. For the average person, if they get stopped, they got a good chance of getting off the ticket. Absolutely. Depends on who stopped them. Not and, in the beginning of why. your career. Maybe not. A, yeah, well, the, no. the, the odds are a little bit different in the beginning of your in career. The you but know that you as get, well as I do. If you get a guy that's a seasoned cop yes. or even just a few years on, yeah. you got a good chance. Right. The only, re- the only reason you won't have a good chance is, one, if you get stopped by a motorcycle cop or a state trooper, because that's their job, too, right, right. just to write tickets. Right. But even with the trooper, if you handle yourself Once properly, while, you can... you're going to get off the ticket. Yeah. Good possibility. But, you know, everybody knows you get more with honey than you do vinegar. Right. So if, if I'm the guy holding your driver's license in my hand and I have the ability to write you a ticket or not, why in the world when you want to give me a hard time? That doesn't make yeah. any sense. I'll Come admit, on. I'll admit there have been days that I've, I've had the worst day, the busiest day. I'm literally exhausted and pulled over somebody and gotten out and started with that, the, the first thing, you know, like whatever the comment was, and just go, have a nice day. You know, I just, I'm just not dealing with this today. Yeah. <laughs> I have done that. Yeah. I have. Because well, that's because you're human, like I said. Some some days you just can't, you know, in my career. And I've learned a lot. And there's a lot of things. There's a lot. The compassion thing, like you said, 
like we were talking about too, as you get seasoned and you learn, you know more. I talked about that also last year. You don't, you don't really know compassion until you've been put in certain instances of how to handle things. And then you, once you've handled them a different way and you see the different outcomes and everything, then you understand it a little better. And then you humanly, you, 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 you become more human as a cop. When you first become a cop, you're not really human. I mean, you're a cop. You want to go fight crime. You want to stop the traffic violation violators. I still want to now. But it's just uh, all the adrenaline comes down and everything levels out and flattens out. And you become, you become a seasoned police officer. You, come, you become a good police officer. You become a reasonable police officer. And it's a lot easier to to communicate with the people that you interact with every day. Unfortunately, the people that interact with us don't get to do that every day. So they, you know, whether it's the image that's painted in their mind or, you know, all the, the bad stories the high, that are highlighted because the good stories really, I mean, they're highlighted, but not like the bad stories. I mean, it only takes one yeah. little, what's, what's that saying? Uh, it only takes one aw shit to ruin a thousand attaboys. Yeah. Especially with a supervisor. Yeah, I think a supervisor told <laughs> In me the administration. That. As they were writing me up, they told me, "No, I'm just kidding." <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, they, you know, their the behavior of a of it works both ways. We're not looking for you to grovel and and you know be nice. We just be a nice be person. Nice. That's all. But but we're, just treat the guy with a little respect. Little respect is what it is. They're a little bit more than it's a little bit more than just. Uh, you know, being nice. Just be respectful. That's all we ask. So, but anyway, that was a good, that was a good. We're going to talk about control now or something? Or well, we're going to talk, uh, the, you wanted to mention about the harder personality of the younger police officer before we. Yeah, we, yeah. So, like, I, know, uh, why I had, are cops so cocky <clears throat> and mean? And, uh, <laughs> I, I had that kind of thing when I first became a cop. And back in those days, they called it the John Wayne syndrome. But uh, I know a lot of these young people nowadays don't even know who John Wayne is. <laughs> Communists. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> he, was a, he was a great icon. Yeah, he I mean, sure I was. I grew up around him. Um, but uh, a lot of young cops. You got his horses, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did have. Um, a, lot of, a lot of young cops, like everybody else, they have to learn the job. Right. And they have to learn how to treat people. Right. When I was a young cop, I was pretty hard ass in that respect. Until I got into the job a little bit more, yeah. But also, a lot of times, people will say, "Oh, that that cop, well, he was really cocky, wasn't he?" And that's not necessarily true all the time. A lot of it has to do with being in control. Right. Now, when I first became a deputy, like I was telling you, and we only had three guys in the zone on a midnight shift sometimes, which wasn't very often, by the way, but every now and then, um, you had to be in control when you went to calls. Even when you had full zones, you were in Hollywood all by yourself. Yeah. When you went to calls, you had to be in control. Because right. if you're not in control and you let it get out of hand, then you get hurt and you get killed. Right. Absolutely. And people don't know what that's like to be surrounded by two or 300 people who really don't like you in a bad neighborhood when you're trying to arrest someone. Right. So you have to stay in control all the time. Sometimes people confuse that being in control with being cocky. Right. And you and I both know that... It depends on the situation you're in, how you want to be, and what you want to be. Right. So you direct the you direct the outcome of that call by how you 
however you decide to be at that moment. But how you, it's your demeanor right. a lot of times. Right. I remember at the airport, I went, one time mm. I went to a, a drunken guy call, and he was bad, and it was at uh, in Terminal 1. And uh, when I got there, of course, there's a whole lot of people sitting outside the gateway waiting to get on an airplane. They're sitting right there. <laughs> and I had to get in this guy's face to chill him out. Right. And, and then he still got smart with me. Even though I tried to back him down verbally, he got smart with me. And, of course, with me, that's a major mistake. Right. Ended up throwing him on the ground, handcuffing him and stuff. And I stood up, and all these people, <laughs> when I looked around, there were 50 people sitting there with their eyes open like. <laughs> so so I, I looked at him, and I said, you know, when you arrest someone, there's not a nice way to do it. <laughs> and they're all going, <laughs> shaking their head. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it is true, though. We have to be in control of the situation. If somebody knows that if if you don't put yourself in control of the situation, it's not because we, we're cops and we, you know, yeah, we, we can push people the power, around. We push yeah, everybody no. around, right? It's not because of that. It's because we cannot let the situation uh, get out of control. We can't let the we can't let people dictate how the this the call is going to end. We cannot let that. And when I'm not saying every call that we go to, uh, we have to be like that. But I am saying that the ones that we do go to, if they sense that one little point of weakness where they, they're already on that, on they're already on that path. They know um, that they're pushing buttons and they're looking for certain signs for you. And all you got to do is show that one moment of weakness, and they can overpower you and power you and take you. I mean, I, this misconception that uh, uh, people are armed. Uh, armed or unarmed, when when uh, people go to uh, when, like let's say law enforcement officer shoot somebody, but he didn't have a gun. Um, depending on the circumstances, one of the favorite sayings, and I know you've heard it before, is every call that you go to involves a weapon. Every call, every call involves a weapon. Yours, exactly. Yours. There is a weapon on scene yes, at all times. Absolutely. And I'm not saying you know that gives us you know just carte blanche to just shoot at people but people don't people don't really think about how um uh, a, a lot of the times the mindset of the other person is to get to that weapon they know and if then that's why if you're not in control of the situation if you're not in control of the incident at the time you give them enough time to think about it and they're watching you and they know well the average person also doesn't know that people in prison practice getting your weapon yeah well that's another, they actually that's do whole, that that's a whole nother they, they actually practice getting your weapon yeah so um it's not everybody but like i said we have to we don't know when that when it's going to be that person we don't have neon signs on their head saying i'm the one that's going to take the weapon and kill you with it today just like last week when i talked about paul ryan yeah paul no. ryan was killed with his own weapon you know he nobody gave him any reason uh, to to think that he wasn't going to go home that day, but the perp knew that he wasn't going home that day, and he planned it. Planned it. So, and that's right. just it. We have no way of we have no way of knowing that. Well, you know, another thing too is that, and and this was from a personal experience of mine when I shot and killed a guy. But um, people think that we want to get, especially the activists nowadays. They think we want to go out and shoot somebody. We're just dying to do. do they really believe that when I'm going to work and I'm strapping on that gun belt, I'm going to say, hey, I'm looking in the mirror. I'm going out and shoot me a person of color today, by God. 
No, that no, that's the last thing I want to do. Because now I got to go before a grand jury. All these people are going to judge me. I got to give them my gun. They take my gun. They shoot it and they compare the bullets and ballistics and and your family and your whole life is turned upside down. Yeah. And you don't know how you're going to come yeah, out of it. Why would you want to Even plan if you know that. it's a good shooting cuz you kind of know if you I mean you should know. But you're still it's kind of a scary thing. And yeah. Do they really believe that that's what we do that we put this gun belt on and say shit like that? Mm. No. Also because the, we're human right. and we want to go home at the end of the day. Right. Also the uh the uh misconception not not necessarily the misconception but when when a law enforcement officer tells you to do something just do it the the time of interaction is not the time to uh plead your case no and and you're right about that too because what do people think oh i don't have to right you can't make me well, i don't have well, to do this, that if the I, atmosphere I have rights you know no if i tell you to go stand over there i'm telling you for a reason right once you cross over that threshold, there's a time when you, yes, you still have rights, but now this is my incident. Now you got to do what, I, what I'm what i telling you. You know, I was on a traffic stop one night in North Palm Beach, and this guy was standing between the cars, and I said to him, get up here on the curb in the sidewalk. And we were in the, parked in the street. I had stopped him, and he was standing between the cars. I was up on the sidewalk where I was supposed to be. Right. And I told him, he says, why? You, you can't tell me what to do. That's the way you could just stand there, and if a guy comes along and hits the back of my car, and my car hits your cars, he's going to crush your legs, and you'll never walk again. But other than that, just stand right there if you want to. <laughs> and he looked at me. I said, now, do you understand what I'm trying to tell you to get up here on the curb, please? Yeah. And he, oh, oh okay. And we all know what happened to Dan. Yeah, we had Dan Hodes. Yes. Yeah. So he lost bad... his legs just like that. Yeah. But he didn't, he didn't have a choice. There was no room there was no sidewalks where he was on the interstate. It was right. just a ramp. Right. But I, but I never forgot that. that. I never forgot yeah. that. Yeah. Dan was a, that was a very bad incident. I mean, but that happens all the time with, uh, you know, the troopers on 95. I mean, I can never understand how that happens, how you, but I, I don't know. Everything, anything's possible, but getting back to the point of, of listening to what an officer tells you, just listen. There's a reason you're, you're, on the other side, you're thinking, oh, let me go. I'm just going to get you my wallet. No, don't get your wallet. You're still just thinking in your mind, I'm just going to get my wallet. There's a bazillion things going off in our mind. Don't get your wallet for the reason why we don't. So when we say, whoa, 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 don't get your wallet. Hold on for a minute. You got to stop and hold on for a minute. It's not because, you know, we don't believe, you know, there there they, are uh, things going on. They that think we, we want to be. bully them, and that's not. Yeah. That's not, the farthest thing from the truth. Yeah. Yep. Compliance uh, is the easiest thing, not just because uh, we think we're the boss. And, you know, when you're getting arrested, you know, 90% of these things that we see where the people claim, oh, the cops killed this guy, they were arrested him, and they got him on the ground. Dude, all he had to do was stop resisting and comply. Yeah. That's, uh, that's they yell, oh, I'm putting my arm behind my back and put my, no, you're not. You know you're not. You're still resisting. You're still fighting. And people don't understand how hard it is to get anyone handcuffed Once that doesn't want to be handcuffed, yeah. even a small female, for one of us to yeah. take her, unless you want to punch her in the face. And, of course, if you do that, then everybody's going to scream and yell well, because you punched her in the face. Yeah, yeah. But I I'm mean, saying, you know, it, it, they don't come easy. There, there's a lot of the diversionary things that guys will do to – people don't understand the reasoning to certain things. I mean, not – 
punching in the face. But because um, people, when when people have it in their mind that they're not going anywhere, I mean, it's amazing some of the power that some of these little people have. It's crazy. It's crazy. You think it's easy? Okay, they're on the ground. You can put handcuffs on. But when they're when they're fighting you because they do not want their freedoms taken away, they they don't want their their freedom to walk around. You know, they. They fight to the dude. To the, I have seen where, and you've seen it too, where there's three or four cops trying to get a guy handcuffed, and they can't get his arms behind his back yeah. because yeah. he locks them in front of him and lays yeah. on him. And I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, people just don't think they just don't get it. Yeah. And of course, some of the people don't get it because they don't want to get it. Yeah, yeah. The majority, you know, like I said, the majority of people uh, would just have to comply and know. There's a reason for it. It's not because we're wanting to boss you around. We don't, you know, not because we're taking advantage of the badge or want to be bullies or whatever. We just want to go home. We just want you to do what you got to do so we can move on to the next step and get done with what we got to do and move on. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's time consuming as it is. Now I got to wrestle you and now I got to do use force. And now I got to do it. We don't do it anymore anyway. The, the sergeants do it. But still, I mean, it, who wants to go through all that? I just want to get through from point A to point B. Listen. We go somewhere. We go to a call. We determine a crime is made. You go to jail. It should be just that easy. I'm, we're there in official capacity. And, and your uh, news lawyer self, because you're a lawyer because you watch so much news, knows you know how to defend yourself and know you have rights. Think you're going to... This isn't the place to defend it. This isn't the place to fight it. This isn't the place to argue it. No. If you don't, you know what? If you got a problem with me giving you the ticket, you know what? The next step is the court. If you got a problem with me arresting you, the next step is the court. Go to the courts and plead your case. And if you shouldn't have been arrested, the judge will say you shouldn't have been arrested. You're not guilty. Boom. Out the door. Yep. If you didn't deserve the ticket, the judge will say dismissed. We've got a job to do. Listen, we're the, we are law enforcement. We are that thin blue line between civility and anarchy. That line breaks, total chaos. Whoever wants whatever they want, they're going to rape, pillage, all that other stuff. You know the stories, you know, and you, you definitely don't want that. So it's just, uh, just amazing. People just got to comply. That's all. Uh, yeah, so what I had said to you earlier when we were just discussing the show prep is the lose control of the incident and you lose control of your um, the outcome of, of the call and more than likely will lose your life because that person is going to want to get to your weapon and take you out because they want to do anything they can. So if, they've, if they're fighting you because of that, they already want out of this situation. And once it gets to a certain level, they're going to do what they got to do to get out of it. And it'll be whatever means they want. And, and you know what's funny is the people that fight us and resist us and give us a hard time, if the following week we get a call that there was an accident and that they cut themselves real bad or some something, and it happened to be that same person that hated you so much and yeah. gave you such a hard time— they don't realize that you're the same guy right. that's going to come there and put a bandage on that wound right. and keep them from dying or put a tourniquet on their leg to keep them from losing their leg mm -hmm. because that's what we do day in and day out. Same yeah, I just thing. said that last week on last week's show. The you same can call way. me whatever you want. 
you can you can cuss me you can you know that's probably where i heard it you know <laughs> <laughs> but i you know you could do whatever you want but tomorrow if you call me i'll answer the call you know because i, I used to tell people this i used to tell people when they'd say you know i can't stand you cops and i'd say good next time you get robbed Call a cab and see if he'll help you out. See if a cab driver will hook. Just call up the cab, and when he gets there, say, hey, listen, that guy just robbed me. And he's going to look at you like you're crazy. Yeah, it's it's all in, like I said, I... I um, but that's what makes this job. I, I love the job. It's taught me so much, uh, you know. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's so much out there um, than just to, to being a police officer than just wearing the badge driving the car, pulling over people and giving tickets and taking people to jail. There's so much more. And I think uh, I think that it's helped me more to today as a person than if I wouldn't have become a police officer. I would I, I don't know. I don't even want to think about where where what who whatever I'd be doing. So, but you know, it's a great job and it and it's a demanding job. And it's a tough job, and it's a very it's under the microscope all the time. We're continuously scrutinized, and we just take the punches and keep moving. Yeah, that's all. That's all we could do. Yeah, it's a good thing I became a cop because back in the day there wasn't much money in kickboxing. You know what I mean? <laughs> it got fifty. You bucks, were too short for fifty bucks on a trophy, and that sent me on my way. You would only kick their shins. <laughs> no, I kicked them pretty hard, pretty high. <laughs> But still, it wasn't much money in it. Yeah, well, the job today is good. It's a good, our, we 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 got a lot of work to do as far as uh, as far as the money issue. Because you're talking about the money, but I mean, we. No, I'm talking about being able to do something other than 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 become a police officer. But I'm yeah. saying you were yeah. saying the money wasn't that good. No, in it wasn't. I couldn't have made it. The money, you know, the money is okay but in police. You know, work, you don't become a cop for the money anyway. You don't. You don't. That's but, not why I became a cop. That's right. But um, those of when we do become police officers, that um, I don't think we're paid nearly enough. Like it's it's a um, priceless job. I don't think there. I don't think you can put a money cap on a law enforcement officer's job because you know we're going out there every day, putting our lives on the line. That's right. We deal with people's problems, and then we go home and we deal with our own problems. They call us, we take care of them. We leave, we go home, and now we got to deal. Who do we call? And we're not very good at our own problems. We, no, we're not. We can tell everybody else what to do with theirs, though. <laughs> we're not because we we that's where we get to release the day of energy that we get pent yeah, I up. I guess and, so, huh? You know, but uh, it's worked out good for me. I mean, so far, so good. Nobody called in. Where's all your friends? He could text me. Mm. That's what we get mm, for mm, having mm. these fancy text phones. I now, need to, so. yeah. I need to go on on Facebook and and start. But I'm glad he was watching me tonight. So some kind of app that uh, that does something, disconnect somebody's phone for a little while or something. <laughs> Not watching. No. Um, anyway, as a reminder, uh, Observations is broadcast live every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Observation Facebook page and Observation YouTube channel. And also, and I told you right, the Observation Twitter page that yes. we have now. And you can follow us there at Copservations underscore. Go there and follow us. We need a big following there. Gary, it was a lot of fun today. Yeah, it was. I had a good time. Well, hopefully Rob will be back next week. Next week we got a really good show planned. 
Um, yeah, with the DEA guy. The guy Gary is really, he's really, he really knows his stuff. He's really a good guy. Um, I met him through uh, a production group, one of the talk groups that we go and do, like reads of screenplays and stuff. I hope everybody tunes in. It's going to be a really good show. It has a lot to do with uh, uh, narcotics and uh, the opioid uh, epidemic that we're having and stuff like that. So should be very I think that's something that really needs to be addressed and we might have a couple of shows on that sometime I might even uh do some um some field work not this week this coming week but eventually in the future go out and do some well there um there's some lawsuits going on with uh the drug companies yeah, that, yeah. and they're proving that they actually marketed this stuff with the intent of selling millions of pills wow I mean when you get a small town in Kentucky that's got an 800 population, and they're selling 8,000 pills a month yeah, yeah, through, right. through doctor's firms that are all over the place there. Yep. Something's not right. Yep. And the drug company, somebody in the drug company should be going, wait a minute, what's wrong with this picture? Yeah. How come they're doing this? But Yeah, we, I, I would really like to, to have a lot of time to be out there and do some investigative reporting and then make like a whole show on that. would be so cool. It's never enough time in my day or week or month or well, I'm always sixty minutes or somebody did it for you, so just look. It up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, before we go, I want to thank Danny. Danny, thanks for wearing all the hats today. I appreciate you. And uh, you're welcome. <laughs> you didn't chime in enough. I'm not happy with that. And wait till wait till Rob comes back. We got you know, with this new toy that we could chime in now. Now we have two microphones. There's actually one on the audio board, too. So when I'm in there. You won't get Tony's mouth shut. <laughs> oh, no. We should have fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. But the, the real challenge will be seeing if I can get Rob to control the teleprompter with his right hand, talk on the mic, and then run this thing with the left hand. If, if I can get people to call in. No, I'm just kidding. No, Rob won't have the control. It'll all go back to normal. But anyway... Um, but it was a really good show. Rob, hopefully uh, you're listening. And if you are, like I said, I hope you feel better uh, soon. And uh, we see you next week, okay? As always, before we sign off, we like to honor our fallen brothers and sisters. Um, tonight we honor Corporal Thomas J. Deru, Sr. of the South Bend Police Department, whose end of watch was on this day, November 11th, back in 1974. Corporal Deru was shot and killed while responding to an armed robbery. As he arrived on the scene, the suspect exited the business and shot him before he could exit his patrol car. Corporal Deru was shot once in the chest and once in the abdomen and died from internal bleeding at the scene. The suspect was later apprehended. The suspect was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to life. His sentence was later reduced to 15 to 25 years, which he served. Since his release, he's been, out, he's been in and out of prison for eight other felonies. His last sentence was for seven years on October 9, 2013, for stealing meat from a South Bend grocery store. Corporal Duru had served with the South Bend Police Department for six years. At the time, he was survived by his expectant wife. Before I go, i got a little something special. Uh, I want to share something with you that was sent to me a couple of days ago from my sister up in New York, uh, Tina. She shared a poem with me that uh, her young son, Adam, um, my nephew obviously had written. It was. It's a pretty good. It's. I was. How old is he? Uh, he just turned. Oh, she'll kill me! How dare you ask me that? And his birthday just came. Um, my mic work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's gonna kill me. 
She is because you had to say that on air. I know. Why didn't Why didn't hey, you Tony? say that? Yeah. How old is he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up and text Tina. No. Well, what? Is he like ten or five? No, or? no, no. He's. I want to say. Sixteen. He's school. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's school age. Oh, there's a text. What is it, Tina? Fifteen. Fifteen. There you go. <laughs> Are they in New York? Yeah. Long oh, enough. he's going to get to bring marijuana to school then, huh? Oi, 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 oi. Drink a little beer on she's the coming side. To, she's coming to visit uh, for Thanksgiving, so I'm going to bring her here so oh, she great. can kick your ass, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked to her on the phone before, but... Uh... <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, uh, she shared this, this poem that Adam had written. It was I was really... Um, I was really caught off guard. I got it. She sent it to me the other day. It was it was a really busy day at work. I think we had the double homicide in North Lauderdale that time that in the morning. I don't know if you heard about it. It was a bad no. bad day, very busy. Um, so I didn't have time to read it when she sent it to me. But then you know the day slowed down, and uh, I had that that downtime that we cherish so much when we're out on the road. When we finally get it, and I read it, and I was very amazed, and I'm very proud. Uh, I just want to share it with you. So. I'm going to say uh, I'm going to let you hear it and uh, hope everybody else likes it and uh, comments on the on the Facebook page or something about it. It takes less than a minute to make a split decision to say how you will live with every breath you give. Holding close your values where you protect and serve always with integrity and never will you swerve. It is these highest standards that help you grow and shine as you take your place in uniform as part of the thin blue line. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, very proud. Awesome job, Adam. I'm very proud of you. Thanks for sending it, Tina. Be sure to tune in next Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on our Copservation podcast Facebook page and the Copservation YouTube channel and now on Twitter at Copservations underscore. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, until next week, stay safe and God bless.